I would just like to put a content warning on this episode. In this episode... In this episode, we deal with some heavy topics, including, obviously, religious trauma, but there are brief mentions of domestic violence, sexual assault, and suicidal ideation. Please do not listen to this episode if those things are triggering to you. Make sure you are in a safe space mentally to listen and consume this episode. Hello friends and welcome to the real first episode of the second season. I am so excited. So let's get into it. First things first. Okay. Today I am drinking a wet hopped Bodhi that is a double IPA um, from Columbus Brewing Company. My husband literally just came back from the beer store. I just got finished mopping my entire downstairs. So I deserve this. Well, I had to vacuum first and then mop and first had to clean up all the toys, had to do some laundry. I've been momming pretty hard today, so I also have to go to the library later to return a book and I have to go to Target. It's, I deserve this, okay? It is only 1 p.m., but I deserve this. So we are starting off pretty strong with this season and I'm so excited about it. Um, We will be talking about religious trauma today, Um, which is crazy just to think about how many people have religious trauma and how many people don't realize they have religious trauma. And just the idea that if you have religious trauma, you are not alone in dealing with it, which is crazy. So full disclosure, you guys know this. I go to therapy pretty much weekly. Um, my therapist is amazing. I love her so much. It's great because when she agrees with me on something, I know that she actually agrees with me because she calls me out for my bullshit on so many other things. She'll be like, and how does that make sense? Or like, what is that really what's happening? Like it's, she's great. Anyway, she sent me a whole treatment plan about treating religious trauma using it's it's basically by the people it's emdira emdria i don't know e-m-d-r-i-a it's basically the institute of um people who who created or developed emdr um which if you do not know emdr stands for eye movement desensitization and reprocessing it is a therapy method that involves bilateral stimulation um, to help you work through your trauma um, or distressing life experiences i am not doing emdr we have been kind of working on getting me there for a while and now that i am not working anymore um, i won't have work stress and all that bullshit to talk about with my therapist so hopefully we will get to emdr basically what it does is in my understanding again i am not a licensed therapist um this is basically what i have gotten from my therapist who is very well licensed 
has a master's degree, knows what she's talking about, um, and is like level two in EMDR, according to her bio. I don't know if that's changed, but so it's basically you have, um, she calls it like a window of tolerance, um, basically like where you're not stressed out. And you can be above or below your window. And if you're above, that means you're like anxious, um, you feel irritable, you're overwhelmed, you're touched out, like that kind of stuff, like you're overstimulated, basically. Um, And then if you're below your window, you're dissociating. So it's feeling like, you know, you're not in your own body, you are lethargic, you just kind of want to zone out, you're not really thinking about anything, like... It's a weird state to be in and I'm there pretty often. Um, But basically the idea of EMDR is before you actually experience EMDR, you're supposed to work on broadening your window. You kind of work on coping skills. Um, We have a lot of different tools that we go through. Uh, You hold ice if you're above your window. It helps you regulate your your body and it's, it's very much attuning your body to your mental state or your mental state to your body to kind of to help to help not trigger so easily um and then (laughs) emdr they actually trigger you on purpose and they try to get you out of your window so that you can so your body experiences those things whatever and then you use your tools to bring you back into your window and so it helps train your brain for the future that anything that like triggers that would normally trigger that trauma it's going to train your brain to and your body to respond the way that you want it to rather than the way it naturally wants to so it's basically taking charge of your own body and it's very beneficial um, for a lot of people and it is also very difficult um, to go through Uh, at least from kind of what I've been working on with her to to prepare for it and also what I've heard from people who have done it. Um, It is very triggering, very emotionally taxing. You have to take really good care of yourself both before and after treatment to just kind of acclimate back. All this to say, this is the the thing she had sent me. I'm not going to read off of it per se just because I am not sure if this is public information that she was sent me so I am going to be kind of paraphrasing and going to the sources Um, they are all cited here so I'm going to be looking up some of the sources So the very first page of this goes through basically what is religious trauma, um, the difference between spiritual abuse, religious trauma, um, adverse religious experiences, uh, religious trauma syndrome, and scrupulicity, which is a psychological disorder primarily, primarily characterized by pathological guilt or obsession associated with moral or religious issues that is often accompanied by compulsive moral or religious observance and is highly distressing and maladaptive. So interesting. This is definitely like, I don't, like I said, I don't know if this is open source, so I am not going to completely read off everything. Um, that was in quotations and it was cited by Miller, CH and Hedges, DW, 
2008, Scrupulicity Disorder, an Overview and Introductory Analysis, Journal of Anxiety Disorders, 226-1042-1058. So that was the site of the source, and it was legitimately quoted from that. So I feel okay sharing that with you. But it is interesting. Sorry. This is pretty good, by the way, this Bodhi. Um, I've had Bodhi before, and this Wet Hopped is a limited release. Um, I don't know what their distro outside of Ohio looks like, or even within Ohio. I'm in the Columbus area, so Columbus Brewing Company. They have a great pizza, by the way. If you ever go, like their tap room, their like location is fabulous. Okay, so the first thing on this page is a graphic that shows... The number of U.S. adults that have experienced religious trauma at some point during their life. And then the number of U.S. adults currently experiencing religious trauma. So on the conservative side, it says about one in three people have experienced religious trauma at some point in their life. Um, and on the less conservative estimate, it's going to be two out of five people. Um, and then currently experiencing religious trauma is 10 to 15 percent conservatively. And then 15 to 20% on a less conservative estimate. So for that, the site on that one is going to be a study or a, yeah, a study um, called Percentage of U.S. Adults Suffering from Religious Trauma, a Sociological Study by Darren M. Slade, Global Center for Religious Research, Adriana Smell, Case Western Reserve University, Elizabeth Wilson, Somatic Trauma Therapist, and Rebecca Drumsta. The Vashti Initiative. So the abstract on this study, this is a completely free to, like it's an open source study. I am on researchgate.net on the web. I don't know if I can download it, but I'm just going to read it off the website because it's got the full, not just the abstract. The abstract of this study says the sociological study aimed to ascertain the percentage of adults living in the United States who have experienced religious trauma and what percentage presently suffer from RT symptoms now. After compiling data from 1,581 adults living in the United States, so it it's, is a decent sample size. Granted, I am not a scientist, but for me, an average person, that seems like a good sample size. Um, so after compiling data from 1,581 adults living in the United States, this study concludes it is likely that around one-third, so 27 to 33% of U.S. adults have experienced religious trauma at some point in their life. That number increases to 37% if those suffering from any three of the six major RT symptoms are included. It is also likely that around 10 to 15% of U.S. adults currently suffer from religious trauma if only the most conservative numbers are highlighted. Nonetheless, since 37% of the respondents personally know people who potentially suffer from RT, and 90% of those respondents know between 1 and 10 people, likely suffer from RT, then it could be argued that as many as one in five U.S. adults presently suffer from major religious trauma symptoms. This is something that I have kind of rarer to find an adult who has not suffered through religious trauma, who is not currently still in a harmful or high control religion. Like I said, a lot of the people I know are either still very indoctrinated heavily into Christian nationalism, 
I don't want to call them Christian. I don't want to call it Christianity, um, but either fundamentalism, evangelicalism, um, or Pentecostalism are kind of like the three bigger ones to me. I mean, Catholicism too, but that's a lot. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm not going to say, again, my opinion, I'm not going to say Catholicism is less harmful, but it's just, it's less prevalent in my opinion, at least amongst the people I know. Um, I do know Catholics, but I don't know any who are very strict or like Orthodox Catholics, if that's even a thing. This is just kind of a general synopsis of who suffers from religious trauma. And it's about 20% of U.S. adults at some point in their life, if we're conservative. So if you caught it in that whole abstract, it does say any three of the six major RT symptoms. So let's go ahead and look a little bit into the study and see what they're calling a religious trauma symptom and how they are categorizing it. We're going to go down to the, ooh, there's lots of, lots of citations, which I love. So they do state that one problem with the label religious trauma um, is that it is ambiguously defined. So much of the peer-reviewed literature makes it difficult for clinicians to identify and treat patients presenting with RT symptoms. To make things more complicated, the literature simply assumes that so-called religious trauma exists with little or no supporting empirical data. It seems that the religious trauma is not as well-defined a term as maybe some other emotional, psychological disorders it's a little bit harder to define and distinguish and then this article intends to correct the gap in quantitative knowledge by presenting findings from the most exhaustive sociological study on religious trauma to date which is funded and carried out by the global center for religious research the purpose of this study was to discover if rt was a society-wide occurrence or simply an affliction that only a few disaffiliated religionists have mentioned in therapy the research question for the study is as follows. What percent of adults living in the United States have experienced religious trauma at some point in their life? And what percent currently suffer from religious trauma symptoms? So this goes on to conclude essentially what the abstract um, told us that there was 1,581 adults. Um, it doesn't really talk about how the... Okay, hold on. Before summarizing the study's collection and analysis methodology, it is important to first define the terms used in the study. This is what we know is the abstract and the conclusion. So we're going to go back to the EMDR conference, religious trauma. So let's... Symptomology of religious trauma... Religious trauma syndrome, the condition experienced by people who are struggling with leaving an authoritarian, dogmatic religion and coping with the damage of indoctrination. There is a note here that it is not a diagnosis in DSM, which is fair. Okay, so if you don't know what the DSM is, let's, let's, let's back up. Because to me, the DSM is in my vernacular. Like, I, I do know what that is. 
but for a lot of people, it might not be. And maybe it is. I'm not sure because we're on the DSM-5, which is the fifth version um, of D the DSM. The DSM stands for the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So this is kind of the book that tells you, yes, this is what it is. And again, we're on the fifth version because learning and studying and adapting our view on certain psychological disorders is progress. Like, I, I don't know how else to say it other than we are progressing as a society. So we learn new things and we, we publish new things. I do know that like, for example, dissociative identity disorder used to be called multiple personality disorder or ADHD and ADD used to be two separate things when now we know that they're the same thing. I do know one of my diagnoses, CPTSD, is in the DSM. Um, I think it's just classified all under PTSD and I don't think it really accounts for complex PTSD. So that is what the DSM is. Religious trauma syndrome is not or diagnosis in the current version of the DSM. So I think that's what a lot of this study is is doing and hopefully will lead us toward a better understanding of this disorder and how to treat it or the syndrome, I guess, um, and how to treat it. Let's look at the religious trauma syndrome symptomology. Um, so it gives me a few, it gives me five here. I am going to try my best to, she, like I said, this is very well cited. So I'm going to try my best to look up the citations and go off of that information. Volume 39, issue three in September, 2011 of CBT Today. CBT is Cognitive Behavioral Therapy. The official magazine, oh, this is a British magazine. The official magazine of the British Association for Behavioral and Cognitive Psychotherapies. It's very interesting that this comes, I think, that this comes from a British publication. Not because I don't think British publications can have this information. It's just I look at religious trauma as almost a uniquely American kind of thing. Just because, again, of the Christian nationalism, um, the far right political ideologies. And I, I feel like at least... My understanding, again, I've never been to Britain or the UK in general. I've never been to Europe. Let's just put it at that. I've never been to Europe. That's a little bit of a tangent. The Religious Trauma Syndrome. It's Time to Recognize It by Marlene Winnell, PhD. Oh, okay. So see, she is a California-based psychologist, educator, and writer. Marlene Winnell has gained an international reputation for her work in both community and academic settings with those who have left religious communities around the world, including the UK. In the first of three articles for CBT Today, Dr. Winnell defines and explores what is meant by religious trauma syndrome. We will go over some of this article. This, again, this is the first time I am reading these articles, so we are going to explore them together. All I know about religious trauma syndrome is basically that I have it. <laughs> um, that's not an official diagnosis, I don't think, by my um, therapist, but it's a diagnosis I'm going to give myself for this episode. I do have religious trauma, religious trauma syndrome, maybe, maybe not. I'm not a professional. It starts off with two quotes from presumably clients of hers um that she is a therapist too 
or things that she has heard in therapy practice. So first, uh, the first quote is, I'm really struggling and I'm desperate never to go back to the religion I was raised in, but I no longer want to live in fear or depression. It seems that I am walking through the jungle alone with my machete, no one to share my crazy and sometimes scary thoughts with. The second quote is, after years of depression, anxiety, anger, and finally a week in a psychiatric hospital a year ago, I am now trying to pick up the pieces and put them together into something that makes sense. I'm confused. My whole identity is a shredded, tangled mess. I am in utter turmoil. Those are both immaculate like descriptions. These comments are not unusual for people suffering with religious trauma syndrome. Religious trauma isn't religion supposed to be helpful or at least benign. In the case of fundamentalist beliefs, I think that's really interesting that fundamentalism is brought up um, because that's a lot of the people I know going through religious trauma were either fundamentalist or evangelical. In the case of fundamentalist beliefs, most people expect that choosing to leave a childhood faith is like giving up Santa Claus. Little sad, but basically a matter of growing up. But religious indoctrination can be hugely damaging and make the break from an authoritarian kind of religion can definitely be traumatic. Another word that we see a lot in all of this, I do want to at some point go over some of like Dr. Stephen Hassan's bite model. If you don't know who Stephen Hassan is, he was in a cult. Um, so he is one of the like world's like foremost cult experts. Um, his Instagram, I think, is literally hold on, let me look it up. It's literally like a cult expert, I think. Stephen. Yep, it's literally at cult expert is his Instagram. If you want to go check it out, he was in a. Um, so he, and he talks about how MLMs are are commercial cults and things like that. Like he is brilliant. Um, he has written a a book called the cult of trump i have not actually gotten to read all of it um i got like a sample through my kindle but i'm very interested in reading that maybe we'll do that at some point but that's less religious more like american crazy people in my opinion allegedly um, don't sue me <laughs> anyway um okay So religious trauma syndrome, it involves a complete upheaval of a person's construction of reality, including the self, other people, life, the future, everything. People unfamiliar with it, including therapists, have trouble appreciating the sheer terror it can create and the recovery need. So she goes on to say that her own awareness took some time. Um, she wrote... Oh, she, oh, so she herself recovered from a fundamental Christian background and she found out that she wasn't alone. Many other people were also eager to discuss this. She's talking, and again, this is in 2011, this was published. So she was talking about how it is time as a whole for the mental health community to recognize that religious trauma syndrome is a thing. Because like I said, it's not in the DSM, so it's not widely recognized by the mental health community. So she says, just like clearly named problems, such as anorexia, PTSD, or bipolar disorder. Funny, because I have all of those. Um, actually, I don't know if I have anorexia. My therapist just calls it disordered eating most of the time, but she did once tell me 
that this is what happens when you're um, recovering from an eating disorder. Which eating disorder I have, I don't know, but she didn't name it that one time, one singular time. Anyway, um, I just think it's funny that those are the three she chose. So such as naming those problems made it possible to self or to stop self-blame and move ahead with treatment, we need to address religious trauma syndrome. The internet is starting to overflow with stories of RTS and cries for help. Reddit is a place where they all live. Um, there are a bunch of um, like fundy snark things and a lot of people talk about their religious trauma on there. And then um, I'm in a couple Facebook groups. Hold on, let me see. There's like deconstruction Facebook groups. Yeah, deconstruction discussion group. I'm in this group, but there are a couple others. Um, you can find them all over the place. It's like deconstructing is like the big term, which is obviously why this show is called Drink and Deconstruct because deconstruction is a term people recognize. Forums such as xchristian.net. Is that still a thing? Let's go find that. Because in 2011, mind you, when this was published, I was still heavily, I was in, it's great being born in 95 um, because I started school in 2000, like kindergarten in 2000. And then in 2001, I started first grade. So like 2011, I started 11th grade. Well, in the end of 2011. So I was in 10th and 11th grade. So I was heavily involved in the church at that time. Ooh, there's an ex-Christian Reddit, ex-Christian.net. Hold on. We're going to go through some of these Reddit stories too. And I'm very excited. Yeah, somebody literally just posted seven hours ago about how Christians have a negative order attitude toward divorces. I am going to like do so much with this information, with this, with this Reddit group. Okay, I don't know if you can hear it, but my son just woke up from his nap and he is screaming. So I have like half my beer drink. So I got like a good hour to relax. And I've been filming this for 48 minutes. So like, I've had a productive ass day. Um, we will come back to this because it does go over like, what is RTS? And I wanna, I wanna go through this and kind of like boil down the points. All right, we're back. And it is day two because I did not get a chance to record last night. My husband was watching South Park and the TV is on the opposite side of the wall. So you could definitely hear everything. Um, so I decided to lay in bed and watch Doctor Who instead of recording. But it is the next day. Just put baby down for a nap like five minutes ago. He is in a big boy bed for the first time. Actually last night was the first time and he went to bed so quickly and then just put him down for a nap he cried for maybe 30 seconds and he's just laying down he's so precious this morning it is like i said 11 o'clock so i am finishing my second cup of very cold coffee that is what i am drinking this morning but it's got like it's like gold metally gold i don't know and every time you put it in the microwave it makes sparks so i don't remember where we were i did not listen to what to what I like I remember what we were doing I just don't remember where in this article by what's her name Marlene Wynell where we were um barriers to treating RTS um at present raising questions about toxic beliefs and abusive practices in religion seems to be violating a taboo in society we treasure our freedom of speech freedom of assembly and freedom of religion 
our laws and mores reflect the general principle that if we are not harming others, we can do as we like. Forcing children to go to church hardly seems like a crime. Real damage is assumed to be done by extreme fringe groups we call cults, and people have heard of ritual abuse. Moreover, religious institutions have a vested interest in promoting an uncritical view. But mind control and emotional abuse is actually the norm for many large authoritarian mainline religious groups. The sanitization of religion makes it all the more insidious. When the communities are so large and the practices normalized, victims are silenced. And that's exactly why I have called especially fundamentalist religion, um, but or fundamentalist like Christianity, um, but uh, many religions can have cult-like tactics, cult-like practices. Um, I definitely think at least the fundamental group that I was a part of was a cult. And I, I definitely think there are harmful cult-like things that go on, um, just as this psychologist says. As therapists, there is no real appropriate diagnosis. This part is basically just about how it's it's so normalized in religious communities that people almost question you when you say it's abusive. Um, instead of questioning the practices, they question you because those practices are so widely accepted. What is RTS? And then there's a quote that says, I suffer with guilt and depression and struggle to let go of religion. I'm also battling with an existential crisis of epic proportions and intense heartache. I feel like I am the only person in the world that this has happened to. Some days are okay, but others are terrible. I do not know if I will make it through this. So then she goes on to define RTS or religious trauma syndrome is the condition experienced by people who are struggling with leaving an authoritarian dogmatic religion and coping with the damage of indoctrination. They may be going through the shattering of a personally meaningful faith and or breaking away from a controlling community and lifestyle. The symptoms compare most easily with PTSD, which results from experiencing or being confronted with death or serious injury, injury, <laughs> and causing feelings of terror, helplessness, or horror. This can be a single event or chronic abuse of some kind. With RTS, there's a chronic abuse, especially of children, plus the major trauma of leaving the fold. Like PTSD, the impact is long-lasting with intrusive thoughts, negative emotional states, impaired social functioning, and other problems. I think it's interesting that there are so many people especially, like I said, anecdotally just in my life, but I know I've heard of other people have seen it all over the internet, that it's just a lot of people think that it's kind of made up or that you're just soft or unemotional or not unemotional. You're too emotional when in reality it is something that isn't as talked about among people deconstructing that there is trauma involved it's not just oh I don't agree with this religion there is a lot of trauma and it might not stem from oh I was hurt by the church in this way but just the overarching abuse of power that a lot of churches give implement on children and that's what I think is interesting that she mentions is it is children who grew up in religion that struggle at least in my opinion struggle the most 
with leaving religion and leaving that doctrine. Um, you see so many like op-ed articles that are like, why are people leaving the faith? Why are Christians leaving the church? Young people are leaving the church in droves, blah, blah, blah. And it's always like, it's because you're trying to be too hip. And, and that's, that's not the case. <laughs> um, and those articles are just really silly in my opinion, especially the ones written from a Christian perspective um, that are basically like, you know, you try to, you do the smoke in the mirror thing and you, you have a band and all of this and, and you're just trying to be too hip and they can see right through that. And it's not, it's not as biblically based and they can see that and they're leaving because their, your teachings don't make sense and all that shit. It's bullshit to me, honestly. But with RTS, the trauma is twofold. First, the actual teachings and practices of a restrictive religion can be toxic and create lifelong mental damage. In many cases, the emotional and mental abuse is compounded by physical and sexual abuse due to the patriarchal, repressive nature of the environment. I think that's interesting, too, that um, growing up Christian or growing up in a high-control religion um, is a different phenomenon for men and women. I think that the church, especially the Christian church, and I have seen these teachings firsthand, the Christian church teaches women that they are, it teaches everyone that they are nothing. Because Jesus is everything. Jesus makes you, who like, gives you purpose, blah, blah, blah. Like, you are nothing yourself. You are dirty rags. And then, on top of that, it teaches that women are underneath men. And you can say, oh, it doesn't say that women are beneath men. We're both equal, but differently so. No. No. That, and I I apologize for this analogy, but that separate but equal, that shit doesn't fly. And you can't say that men are the head of the house. Men have control. It's very patriarchal. And then say that, no, but women aren't looked down on. They are. Um, and as a young girl, it, we've all had the tube of toothpaste squeezed out, the rose that got passed around, the paper that got crumpled, and that like that's your worth, um, especially if you have sexual sin. And then on top of that, a lot of the men in churches, because their power is so over- absolute, especially, like I said, in the, in, obviously in the Catholic church, but in the independent fundamental Baptist church, there's a lot of sexual abuse from high profile leaders um, that these men are learning from and looking to. And if they, even if they don't know about the abuse, right, the teachings that they are following are the teachings of a man who thinks abuse is okay. And so what is that teaching? And they're always be wary of the world, be wary of what slips in. But you, you are following the teachings of a man who molests kids. You know what I mean? So, like, clearly that patriarchal, clearly that oppressive, powerful dynamic had gotten to their head and made it okay in their mind. It's kind of, I don't want to, like, bring up a slippery slope fallacy, but it's kind of like, okay, if, if it's okay in their brain, what, how, how far would the people following that leader go? You know what I mean? Just because that, that's the example that they've looked to. And then they get outed for abuse and it's like, oh, well, he was a good man of God. Was he? Because 
if that's if that's your standard we've got some issues so anyway um that's my little tangent about being a woman in the church being a girl in the church the church i grew up in i wouldn't be surprised not with maybe with some of the leaders i don't know some of them got really weirdly close even with their daughters and like if you're an adult and your daughter is like 15 don't like an adult man and your daughter's 15 don't kiss her on the mouth that's weird that's so weird like i'm sorry but that's weird like i know she's your daughter but it's it's creepy it's mm -mm. i don't like it i don't like it anyway my tangent i'm really good at getting on tangents i'm gonna check on my baby oh i think he's wait is he even on his bed anymore oh yeah he's he's sleeping my baby's sleeping He's a good sleeper. So the, she said that RTS, the trauma, is twofold. So the second uh, part of the trauma is a departing a religious fold adds enormous stress as an individual struggles with leaving what amounts to one world for another. This usually involves significant and sudden loss of social support while facing the task of reconstructing one's life. It's, uh, like I said, this was written in 2011. I was still highly in church. And if I had read this back then I would have rolled my eyes the entire time but having left church oh my god I talked about it obviously in the, the first ever episode of this podcast but leaving church mostly because of my mental health and because people kept telling me I wasn't close enough to God which is insane because you are this this shining example I was a leader I, I was like she's close with God she walks with God blah 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 and then like I struggled and it was like you've never really been close with God then what like you need to pray more you need to get in your word dude I'm fucking praying I'm sitting here reading my bible for 12 hours a day like I am in a place I go to chapel every day like I was in a place where like this is as close as I should ever get to God and i wasn't but it is it is scary because it is sudden loss of your social support and I know a girl who still talks with some people because that's who is willing some people who hurt her and, and continue to hurt her but but that's who's willing to still be by her side and like the loss of the support of everyone you knew who was so supportive when you followed the rules it's not an easy thing. And I, I've talked about that too. It's not an easy thing. It's not a thing you do on a whim. It is literally rebuilding your life from scratch. Why would you choose that? Why would you choose to start over if there wasn't so much harm being done? You know what I mean? The pain of leaving less than the pain of staying. So yeah, there's pain to leave, but there's much more pain to stay and that's that's why people deconstruct and like I said regardless it's not like oh this person talks shit about me and the church blah 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 like no it's not the church it's the religion as a whole it's the construct it's the the ideals that that church or that organization that they abide by it's not oh I didn't like the pastor oh I didn't like you know, I mean, I've heard of churches splitting over the color of the carpet, but they say, you know, that's just petty bullshit. People don't deconstruct for petty reasons, at least none that I've ever known or heard of. Okay, so key dysfunctions in religious trauma syndrome are cognitive. So that is confusion, 
difficulty with decision making and critical thinking, dissociation, identity, confusion, because you don't know who you are without God. Or, and in my case, I still believe in God and I still pray and I still call myself, I don't call myself a Christian only because of the pain that I felt by the Christian church, because I don't think the American Christian church or the churches that I've known, they are not Christian and they don't represent Christ. Um, and I'm not making the judgment of whether or not they're going to heaven. They'll, they'll want to tell me that I'm not, but I, I don't know and I don't care. That's not my, that's not my walk. That's not my problem. Honestly, this is coming from a girl who used to want to be a missionary. Like I went to school to be a missionary. So like I used to care and think, and that's the thing that they teach you is that everybody's salvation is on you. It's, it's insane. Like everybody, like you are responsible for people burning in hell. Terrifying, terrifying. Um, I'm not responsible for their decisions, for their actions, for their walk with God or performative walk with God. I'm not responsible for knowing or caring about that. That's not my job. And it's taken a long time and a lot of therapy to get to that point. A long time. Okay, so effective dysfunctions. Anxiety, panic attacks, depression, suicidal ideation, anger, grief, guilt, loneliness, lack of meaning. It's interesting that they say guilt, not shame, because I think shame is, has been a big thing in my life. Um, guilt and shame are different. They sound the same. They're used interchangeably a lot, but not by therapists, um, because there's a difference. The way my therapist describes it is guilt says I did something bad and shame says I am bad. And shame had its place when we were, you know, cavemen, when we were a very, we had to be tight knit as a society to, to survive. And it was like, nope, you're bad shame because you no longer, you put yourself above the group or in, in some ways or whatever, or you were dangerous or harmful. Um, but shame kind of at this point doesn't really serve as much of a purpose. Um, we needed it biologically way back when, um, but we don't need it as much now. I mean, it's still, it's still good, but guilt tells you like, oh, this is a bad thing you did. Let's make it right. Shame just says, nope, you fucking suck. You are bad. There's no making it right. It is interesting that they say guilt um, and not guilt, shame, you know, not include shame in there. So functional sleep and eating disorders, nightmares, sexual dysfunction, substance abuse, and somatization. So I had to look up what somatization was. Um, so if you've ever heard of like the term psychosomatic, where it's like all in your head, that's some uh, somatization. So and if I'm not pronouncing that right, I don't care because I, this is, you know, when you read something and you're like, I don't know how it's like, like the word epitome, I always read it epitome. Now I know it's the word epitome, but I didn't then. Um, so somatization or somatization, whatever, um, is basically like the presenting of symptoms that have no cause. Um, so it's like physical symptoms that aren't part of any large diagnosis. Like if your your stomach's always hurting or you know what I mean? Like you always have headaches, but they've done MRIs, they've done CAT scans. There's no reason that you're getting these headaches. That's somatization. Um, and then the so social and cultural effects are rupture of family and social network, 
employment issues, financial stress, problems acculturating into society, and interpersonal dysfunction. And then it goes on to list a couple just like quotes from people going through this, which I think is important. But like I said, it's very prevalent on our podcast and will continue to be so. So I'm just going to I'm just going to skip through those. So it says the severity of RTS ranges and depends on a number of factors. Persons most at risk of RTS are those who were raised in their religion, sheltered from the rest of the world, very sincerely and personally involved and or from a very controlling form of religion. And I think that's that's a little bit redundant in my opinion because if you were sheltered from the rest of the world that that's kind of a very controlling form of religion. So, I mean that's fundamentalist children right there. Sheltered from the rest of the world. A lot of them were homeschooled, taught that the world was bad. A lot of them didn't have TVs, or if they did, they could only watch Disney movies or certain Disney movies or VeggieTales. And a lot of them couldn't listen to any music with a beat, like a drum beat. Except there was one guy at like Hiles Anderson or who like made CDs or whatever. His name was Kenny something, I think. And he had a drum in his and that was okay because they said that his was okay. And I think it was just because he was black and it was like the token, token black guy in the religion. So weird. Anyway, so the important thing for us to realize is that RTS is real. And that's kind of the the point of this podcast. Um, This episode here is basically to say like, yes, I have religious. I don't know, like I said, if I have religious trauma syndrome, because it's not really a diagnosable thing, but religious trauma is absolutely a real thing. And I think that's. That's the part that people still in the religion don't want to admit is that religious trauma is a thing. Part of like CPTSD, right, is with PTSD, war, obviously traumatic, um, major accidents, like a plane crash that you survived or a car crash or, you know what I mean? Like your boat tipped over and you were stranded. Like that's clearly traumatic, right? There are a lot of things that are like labeled traumatic, being sexually assaulted, traumatic. That is a lot easier to diagnose PTSD because of those big T traumas, those single events, usually single events, sometimes with like sexual abuse, that's clearly not always a single event, but within itself, it is a single thing. The problem with little T traumas and CPTSD is that you and I can both be in the same exact situation at the same exact time. And one of us can be traumatized by it and the other wouldn't be. And that just has to do with the factors of our growing up and our being raised and the emotional tools that we have at our disposal at that time. So we could go through the same situation and I would be absolutely traumatized to the point where like it's a trigger for me. And then you could be like, that kind of sucked, but I got over it. So that's the problem is that we don't get and that's we don't get to decide what trauma is our brain does I don't get to say like that wasn't traumatic and I can say that and I have said that about things in my life like oh that wasn't traumatic that wasn't abuse that wasn't neglect blah 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 but like my brain thinks it was so it doesn't matter what I say about it what cognizantly I feel about it 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 matters how my brain took and interpreted interpreted and rewired itself moving forward that's basically the point of this episode is to say 
religious trauma exists and you don't get to tell somebody what is and isn't traumatic in their own life. There is a little sidebar on here that says the American Religious Identification Survey uh, from 2008 indicates that Americans by the millions are making an exodus from their faith. The number of people who affiliate themselves with no religion has nearly doubled from 1990 to 2008. The 18.7 million people who fall in this gap have presumably come from mainline Protestant, Baptist, and Catholic churches, which have lost 12.7 million believers during the same time frame. There is a section here. This is kind of a long article, but there is a section here that talks about understanding religious trauma syndrome and kind of goes through a little bit more in depth. So... The Foundation of Fear is the title of this section, and it says the, the first key doctrine is eternal damnation or annihilation for all unbelievers. This is the terrifying backdrop for the salvation message presented to all newcomers and all children born into the faith. The Bible is quoted to paint a horrifying picture of hell as a lake of fire, a fire of eternal torture impossible to quench despite any pleading. Mormons describe a hell as outer darkness that is cold and just as terrifying. Jehovah's Witnesses threaten the horror of dying forever at Armageddon. The salvation formula is offered as a solution, of course, but for many, it is not enough to ward off anxiety. How does one really know? And what about losing one's salvation? Many adults remember trying to get saved multiple times, even hundreds of times, because of the unrelenting fear. That is true. Um, I definitely, the, the, the problem is I prayed to get saved just because I wanted to die. <laughs> I was suicidal and I wanted to die. Um, so I was like seven or eight. Um, well, I was seven when I got saved, but then I started praying to die like eight or nine, but I just wanted to like live with Jesus. And I just wanted to like go up in heaven because my mom painted and to, to my mom's credit, um, we weren't in church really that much back then, but to my mom's credit, she did paint salvation for me as going to heaven instead of avoiding hell which is a big thing and very different so that was my experience but growing up and, and going to church camp and all of that like they were like rededicate your life and I'm like yep rededicating because I don't want to go to hell I want to I want that promise of heaven I definitely remember questioning my salvation for sure and that's a very very common thing and if you say you don't you're either a liar or a sociopath like how do you not question a variation on this is fear about missing the rapture when jesus returns and then what's interesting right here it says finally believers simply cannot feel safe in the world in the fundamentalist worldview the world is a fallen place dangerously ruled by Satan and his minions until Jesus comes back and God's put God puts everything right. Meanwhile, it is a battleground for spiritual warfare and children are taught to be very afraid of anything that is not Christian. Much of the world is condemned at church and parents try to control secular influences through private and homeschooling. Children grow up terrified of everything outside the religious subculture most of which is simply unfamiliar. The next section here says self as bad. It says, second to the doctrine of hell, the other most toxic teaching in fundamentalist churches is that, is that of original sin. 
human depravity is a constant theme of fundamentalist theology, and no matter what is said about the saving grace of Jesus, children and adults internalize feelings of being evil and inadequate. Most of these churches also believe in demons quite literally, some to the point of using exorcism on children who misbehave. One former believer called it bait-and-switch theology, telling me that I was saved only to insist that I was barely worth saving. And that's what I was talking about, especially like with, with young girls, but it happens to everyone in the church, that you are dirty rags. You are awful. And it's funny because why would God put us on? Here's the thing. I don't understand the idea that God put us on earth, made us sin, because if God is omniscient, he knows everything. So he knew Eve would sin. He could have just made her not sin. And yes, he wants free will, blah, blah, blah. But like, he's going to put sin in my life and then condemn me for sin. That doesn't, that doesn't make sense. And basically we are awful humans. Humans are awful. But God made us in his image, but also we suck. And Jesus wants you. He gives you this free gift. He wants you in heaven with him. But also you really don't deserve it. And you should be thankful that he is even wanting anything to do with you. Even though you are created in his image and he, you were fearfully and wonderfully made and he knew you before you were formed, you kind of suck. And like, like, I just, I don't understand this doctrine and it is very bait and switch because it's like, God loves you. He wants you. Oh, but you are the worst like I don't know how it is it is when you think about it you're like I'm fearfully and wonderfully made I am made in his image that's awesome I must be good and then they're like nah you're inherently bad humans are inherently evil why would why would God make us in his image if we were inherently evil why would God why would we be fearfully and wonderfully made it's so weird they cherry pick verses um, depending on what they want to teach you about. If they want to teach you about how awful you are, they're going to pick the verses about how awful you are. If they want to teach you that life is sovereign, they're going to pick the verses about how God made you with his own hands and he formed you in the womb and he counted all the hairs on your head. That sounds like a lot of work for somebody who is awful. Like, why would he do that? I don't believe the Bible is literal. Sorry. But it's funny because I will try to use the Bible literally against literalists and they're like, oh, you're just cherry picking. And I'm saying, no. No, you are, but okay. And you just want to have a straw man fallacy and talk about how bad I am instead of how unsound the doctrine is, but okay. To keep going, to think you are good or wise or strong or loving or capable on your own is considered pride and the worst sin of all in this religious worldview. You are expected to derive those qualities from God who is perfect. Anything good you do is credited to God and anything bad is your fault. You are expected to be like him and follow his perfect will. But what if it doesn't work? Fundamentalist Christianity promises to solve all kinds of personal problems. And when it does not, it is the individual that, that bears the paralyzing guilt of not measuring up. A cycle of abuse is the next section. It says a believer can never be good enough and goes through a sin uh, or a cycle of sin, guilt, and salvation similar to the cycle of abuse and domestic violence. That's really interesting, actually. I've not ever thought of it as a, like a domestic 
violence kind of situation. But I have thought about it as like abusive and like a, what if this was like a relationship kind of way. But to hear it described as a similar to the cycle of abuse and domestic violence, I am lucky enough to, to not have to worry about domestic violence in my life. You know, in the hospital when you're giving birth or whatever. And they're like, are you safe at home? Do you feel safe? Like, yes. Um, and I hope, please answer that question. Honestly, when you're at the doctor, if you do not feel safe in your relationship, please get help to talk to somebody. You have every right to request that if your partner has to come with you or, or says they have to come with you, you have every right to request that they don't. People are there to help you. And I know that's easier said than done. And like I said, I'm coming from a naive perspective. But please, there are resources. And when they say they have a personal relationship with God, they are referring to one of total dominance and submission. And they are convinced that they should be grateful for this kind of love. Like an authoritarian husband, this deity is an all-powerful ruling male whose whose word is law. The sincere follower repents and rededicates, which is funny because I I already mentioned that, which produces a temporary reprieve of anxiety and perhaps a period of positive effect. This intermittent reinforcement is enough to keep the cycle of abuse in place. Like a devoted wife, the most sincere believers get damaged the most. And that's interesting, right? When they say, oh, you left religion because you never believed you left religion because you never took it seriously you left christianity you stopped being whatever you stopped believing because you you were never truly a follower and it's like no i i was and that's the issue is one i got damaged the most because i was all in i was in it the most and two i'm just living the teachings you told me to live but not in the way you want me to do it The next section is called Don't Think, Don't Feel. Fundamentalist theology is also damaging to intellectual development in that it explicitly warns against trusting one's own mind while requiring belief in far-fetched claims. Believers are not allowed to question dogma without endangering themselves. Critical thinking skills are undervalued. Emotions and intuitions are also considered suspects, so children learn not to trust their own feelings. With external authority, the only permissible guide, they grow up losing touch with inner instincts, so necessary for decision-making and moral development. And that's exactly what it is. I can't make my own fucking decision. And no, I say that, like, I don't, and like I said, I've been in therapy since 2018 on and off, but like very seriously since at least 2020 and like I said I go I go just about weekly now sometimes depending on if I schedule her schedule fills up because like I said she's good I don't trust my instincts I don't trust that my emotions are true and they're so or my thoughts are valid um there's it's so there's been so much invalidating in my life um, both of my emotions at home and my thoughts in church that I seek validation to an extreme whether that's validation of who I am as a person um, what I think how smart I am how pretty I am I I seek validation because I was always taught that I couldn't make those decisions for myself that I couldn't question and I questioned a shit ton in church and I was always met with pushback 
from leadership. I've had, I had leaders take me out to dinner to try to like, you know, you are a leader. And I, the one thing that I am to this day is a decent leader. Um, I have always, you know, been promoted for leadership qualities at work or whatever. Like I am, I can make a decision when it comes down to, to work like a, this makes sense. This doesn't make sense in this project. Right. But in my own emotions, can't do it. Um, but they would take me like the, the leaders would be like, you're supposed to be a leader. This is what we want you to think and say and do. Not in so many words did they say, this is what we want you to think and say and do. But they were like, well, this is, you have to wear a skirt. If you're going to be a leader, you have to wear a skirt. If you're going to be a leader, you have to read your Bible. You have to memorize these scripture, blah, 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 blah. Like they gave me ultimatums like that. The next section, abuses of power. Added to these toxic aspects of theology are practices in the church and religious families that are damaging. It is known that physical, sexual, and emotional harm is inflicted in families and churches because authoritarianism goes unchecked. Too many secrets are kept. Sexual repression in the religion also contributes to child abuse. The sanctioned patriarchal power structure allows abusive practices towards women and children. Severe condemnation of homosexuality takes an enormous toll as well, including suicide. And that's, I mean, I've talked to, like I said, I've talked about it before. That's, and we'll talk about it, especially with Girl Defined, um, because they, all they care about is sex. Like, you can tell they are sexually repressed, which is funny because they're both married now. And it's funny that they talk about, like, things that are allowed in marriage. And now, now that they're married, they talk about sex even more. It's insane. Like, they, I don't know if they get off on it. I don't know if it just makes them money because sex sells and they sell their opinions. Tout them as their opinion, but to say that's biblical, but it's not in scripture. It's insane. It's so weird. They're awful. I do not like them. I do not like what they teach. I don't know them. But we will talk about that, about how, like, sex, 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 and the biggest sin you could commit in a fundamentalist church is being gay. I, I, they accept and welcomed pedophiles into their church with open arms, but be gay? No, you weren't allowed. Unless you completely condemned all things, all your thoughts, all your sins beforehand, and, or you went to conversion. Like, like I said, there were pedophiles in my church because my mom taught me how to use the internet (laughs) to look at people's records. We know that. A lot of them were registered um, for finding, like, young children, like, material of young children. Kids got to sit on their lap in church, and that was fine. That pisses me off to this day. Like, we're not protecting anyone. And that should be our our goal. And yes, sure. Can people be redeemed? Absolutely. Should they be redeemed with a child sitting on their lap? No. Absolutely not. Keep the kids safe. Anyway, that was the article about religious trauma syndrome itself like I said not a diagnosed thing but it is funny that they go through a lot of a lot of that goes through very similar things to cult tactics um, very similar to what Dr. Stephen Hassan warns about with cults and lastly I just want to close out the episode by 
giving my thoughts. I mean, I could talk about this forever. <laughs> like, this is a topic that is so important to me. However, I know that there are so many people, both in my life personally and people I have never met, who are just starting their deconstruction or not even sure that they want to, but they're questioning their religion or they know that their religion has harmed them and they don't want to face it. And it's funny, I was talking to my therapist and I told her basically like, I forget that I'm not the only one going through this and that everybody else is at a different spot than me. Even my husband who kind of helped me and pushed me to my deconstruction. It's, it's weird that he might be at a different spot than me. I do want to tell you how you can get help. I do not recommend BetterHelp specifically. I have heard from my therapist that they are not good to work for as a therapist. She has never worked there, but she's heard from people in the field. And I have heard from people personally and all over the internet. Their counseling sessions are not adequate. If you go to psychologytoday.com, there is a section where you can find a therapist. And this is going to be the easiest way. We'll put in your zip code. It'll tell you um, what each therapist specializes in, um, what their availability is, like if they're available, and if they do telehealth, which I know is a big thing. Um, that's how my therapist works right now, ever since COVID, but I really enjoy telehealth um, more than in person I think just because I don't have to drive all the way across town I think like issues so marriage counseling depression anger management are some of the ones on here but there is spirituality um, and there is I'm one of those people that recommends therapy regardless but if you definitely relate to any of this or you're in that stage of just starting out what I wish I had had just starting to deconstruct from religion and just starting to figure out what I believe was a therapist. You can, if you don't want to go through issues, you can filter by your insurance. They also generally tell you what their out-of-pocket expense is if you don't have um, insurance. This is how I found my therapist. You, you may have to shop therapists and that is okay you don't have to click or you don't have to click with the first one you choose you don't have to stay with the first person you click with if you decide that they're not helping or their type of therapy isn't what you like then just find a new therapist I would definitely recommend going to psychology today to check out a therapist um, to help you with your deconstruction journey to help you with just disentangling your self-identity from religion. I personally don't recommend a religious person to do that with. I don't recommend a Christian counselor. Uh, that's just, I mean, at least for, for me, I know that that would have been more harm than good. That would have been triggering. Not that I'm trying to, like I said, leave the faith altogether. I absolutely believe in God. I don't need the, the Christian doctrine forced on me when I'm trying to. I'm at a place where I don't feel as much visceral anger and I'm realizing that there are good people in bad religion um, but you can be both a victim and a perpetrator at the same time. Two things can be true. I think that's important to realize and I'm, I'm trying to look at people as though they're not evil 
or harmful themselves, but what they believe and what they do is evil or harmful. It's a constant journey. It's a, it's a place where I'm trying to find a middle ground. I'm trying to work through the gray. My life is very black and white. My thinking is very bilateral. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm working through the gray on my religious issues. I'm trying to detangle what's religious trauma versus childhood trauma versus, you know, personal trauma and figuring out what about myself I believe and why I believe that. And like I said, it's a process. Um, but I definitely recommend therapy through that process if you can afford it, if you have insurance. Um, I know it's a luxury in our economy and in our society and it shouldn't be so if you can at least find someone to talk to to work through this do some research like I said all of these all of the things that I read were open sourced from the internet I know this was a little bit of a heavier topic um next week we're gonna be talking about the difference between fundamentalism and evangelicalism and Pentecostalism and maybe some Catholicism but that's kind of like I mean that's different the rest of them are like Protestant religions and we'll talk about how harmful they can be and in what ways they are harmful um, because I definitely think one of them is more harmful than the other and it might not be what you think Um, so I am very excited to go through that with you next week. Hopefully it'll be a little bit lighter of a topic. Um, But thank you again so much for joining me today. We'll see you next week.